Howdy, everybody. The following is the 13th lesson in a series on life, liberty, and property brought to you by Republic Keepers. We are studying a book by the same name, Life, Liberty, and Property, written by Charles A. Wiseman, of which can be purchased at his website, seek-info.com, amazon.com, or at any small bookstore such as Brave New Books in Austin, Texas. The ISBN number for this book is 0 966 89 21-9-4 The following information about fundamental law and the unwritten constitution cannot be utilized by those individuals that are domiciled in the District of Columbia. To understand your domiciled status, please review the two constitutions, two domiciles document on republickeepers.com. We hope you enjoy this lesson. All right. The section we're starting today is the section that I mistakenly started yesterday. Legislative law is not the law of the land. This is an extremely important one. This is one they don't teach in law school. Since the law of the land, or that which is to be due process of law, refers to the ancient established principles of law, these provisions do not and cannot mean statutes or ordinances enacted by current legislative bodies. They cannot be ancient and current at the same time. Citizens cannot be deprived of their liberty or property by legislative acts which are not pursuant to the law of the land. These acts of the legislature by themselves do not constitute the law of the land or due process of law. This is one of the single most important principles of American jurisprudence. I'm going to repeat that. This is one of the single most important principles of American jurisprudence, and that is acts of the legislature by themselves do not constitute the law of the land or due process of law. This concept was stated in a well-researched decision by the Supreme Court of Wisconsin. Quote, due process of law does not mean merely according to the will of the legislature or the will of some judicial or quasi-judicial body upon whom it may confer authority. It means according to the law of the land, including the Constitution with its guarantees, the legislative enactments and rules duly made by its authority, so far as they are consistent with constitutional limitations. A legislative act dealing with the rights of citizens is thus limited in three main ways. It must find authority in the Constitution, and that's from our authority of law class. It must be consistent with established due process limitations as established in early America 
or as found in the common law and ancient procedures of justice. And third, it cannot be contrary to the law of the land and the law of God. In other words, the act must conform to established limitations which pose as the final determination as to what is lawful. This means that not even the people, by way of a constitution, can violate or transcend established rights, due process, or that which is the law of the land. Not even the people. Certainly no more could be said for a legislative body from which it uses its people to come from. The term law of the land, being a general term, has often been taken to mean law passed or existing in the land, such as by legislative bodies. However, the phrase in its true context does not infer such law. It means only that law which was originally established and practiced on the land, which includes ancient maxims and principles as existing in the Anglo-Saxon common law. The existing law on the land is thus not necessarily the law of the land or due process. In the law book, Rule and case law explains this situation. Due process of law means something more, however, than the actual existing law of the land. If it were otherwise, it is obvious that the guarantee as to due process of law would be no restraint upon legislative power. Therefore, not everything which may pass under the form of statutory enactment, can be considered the law of the land, nor can a state make everything due process law, which by its own legislation it declares to be such. The Supreme Court of the United States had on several occasions examined the historical and legal meaning of the words due process of law as found in the Fifth Amendment. In the, fifth, in the case of Murray's Lettie v. Hoboken Land Company, the court explained the scope and effect of the phrase as applied to legislative power. The Constitution contains no description of those processes which it was intended to allow or forbid. It does not even declare what principles are to be applied to ascertain whether it be the process. It is manifest that it was not left to the legislative power to enact any process which might be devised. The article is a restraint on the legislative as well as on the executive and judicial powers of the government and cannot be so construed as to leave Congress free to make any process due process of law by its mere will. One of the earliest cases in dealing with due process of law was a limitation on the legislative power 
as a limitation on the legislative power was the North Carolina case of Hope v. Henderson in 1833. Here it was decided that the legislature could not transfer the estate one possessed in his office of county clerk to another person. In this case, Chief Justice Ruffin stated the following. Those terms, law of the land, do not merely do not mean merely an act of the General Assembly. If they did, every restriction upon the legislative authority would be at once abrogated. For what more can the citizen suffer than to be taken, imprisoned, be seized of his freehold, liberties and privileges, be outlawed, exiled and destroyed, and be deprived of his property, his liberty, and his life, without crime. Yet all this he may suffer if an act of assembly simply denouncing those penalties on particular persons or a particular class of persons be in itself a law of the land within the sense of the Constitution. In reference to the infliction of punishment and divesting the rights of property, it has been repeatedly held in this state and is, is believed in every other of the Union that there are limitations upon the legislative power, notwithstanding those words, and that the clause itself means that such legislative acts as profess in themselves directly to punish persons or to deprive the citizen of his property without trial before the judicial tribunals and a decision upon the matter of right as determined by the laws under which it vested, according to the course, mode, and usages of the common law as derived from our forefathers are not effectively laws of the land for those purposes. The court also said that while an act of the legislator, legislature has the forms of law, it is not one of those laws of the land by which alone a free man can be deprived of his property. New York also had several early landmark cases on the subject of what constitutes the law of the land and how it is distinct from legislative law. In the case of Taylor v. Porter in 1843, an act of the legislature authorizing a road to be laid out over the lands of a person without his consent was held unconstitutional. In the opinion, Justice Bronston stated, by the words, by the law of the land, as here used in the state constitution, do not mean a statute passed for the purpose of working wrong. The construction would render the restriction absolutely nugatory and turn this part of the Constitution into mere nonsense. The people would be made to say to the two houses, you shall be vested with the legislative power of the state, but no one shall be disfranchised or deprived 
of any of the rights or privileges of the citizen unless you pass a statute for that purpose. In other words, you shall not do the wrong unless you choose to do it. This expert excerpt is also quoted by Judge Cooley in his work on constitutional elections in Section 354, to which he also stated the following comments on the law of the land. Perhaps no definition is more often quoted than that given by Mr. Daniel Webster in the Dartmouth College case. By the law of the land, it is most clearly intended the general law, a law which hears before it condemns, which proceeds upon inquiry and, own, and renders judgment only after trial. The meaning is that every citizen shall hold his life, liberty, and immunities under the protection of the general rules which govern society. Everything which may pass under the form of an enactment is not therefore to be considered all men. It is thus entirely correct in assuming that a legislative enactment is not necessarily the law of the land. Another early landmark case in New York which made a decision on the meaning of the law of the land as used in constitutional provisions was the case of Winnehammer against the people in 1856. Here, an act of the legislature made it unlawful to sell liquor, and if sold, then the liquor was to be taken and destroyed. Judge Comstock, in delivering the opinion of the court, held the act unconstitutional as it deprives a, a citizen of his property by legislative law rather than by the law of the land or due process law. In examining these phrases, he held the following. Today, to say that it has been suggested that the law of the land or due process of law may mean that the very act of the legislature which deprives the citizen of his right, privileges, and property leads to a simple absurdity. The Constitution would then mean that no person should be deprived of his property or rights unless the legislature shall pass a law to effect the wrong. And this would be throwing the restraint entirely away. The true interpretation of these constitutional phrases is that when rights are acquired by the citizen under the existing law, there is no power in any branch of the government to take them away. But where they are held contrary to the existing law or are forfeited by its violation, then they may be taken from him, not by an act of the legislature, but by in a due administration of the law itself before the judicial tribunals of the state. The cause or occasion for depriving a citizen of his supposed rights must be found in the law as it is, or at least it cannot be created by a legislative act which aims at their destruction. 
I want to stop for a moment here and comment on the UN document called the Human Rights Declaration of Human Rights or whatever that is called that is published by the United Nations. Now it reads like our Declaration or our Bill of Rights, excuse me. However, if you look closely and observe, it says you have the right to free speech unless it's prohibited by law, which is an example of the absurdity that is being talked about here. The rights invested by law and by nature in each person are essentially inviolable. And to say the legislature can declare that they no longer exist by making the exercise of such rights unlawful is to subscribe to the doctrine of the omnipotence of the legislature, or that it is absolute and without control. The pre-existing law, the law of the land, limits the acts of the legislature in every area in which rights are known to exist. I want to repeat that. The pre-existing law, the law of land, limits the acts of the legislature in every area in which rights are known to exist. This fundamental principle flows from the very nature of our free Republican system. In an early case in Massachusetts, the Supreme Court held that a statute which gives a single magistrate authority to try an offense punishable by imprisonment without presentment by a grand jury violates the article of the Declaration of Rights which provides that, quote, no man shall be arrested, imprisoned, exiled, or deprived of liberty or state, but by the judgment of his peers or the law of the land. The court, in viewing the concept of the law of the land, has the great security of private rights, which were handed down to us by our ancestors, also stated, quote, these terms in this connection cannot, we think, be used in their most bald and literal sense to mean the law of the land at the time of the trial, because the laws may be shaped and altered by the legislature from time to time. And such a provision intended to prohibit, prohibit the making of any law impairing the ancient rights and liberties of the subject would under such a construction be wholly nugatory and void. The legislature might simply change the law by statute and thus remove the landmark and the barrier intended to be set up by this provision and the Bill of Rights. It must therefore have intended the ancient established law and the course of legal proceedings by which our ancestors had found safety for their personal rights. On deciding the meaning of the phrase, 
the law of the land and the Constitution of Maine, the state Supreme Court held that an act of the legislature which renders it difficult to obtain a trial by jury is void under this clause. It held the law of the land as used in the Constitution has long had an interpretation which is well understood and practically adhered to. It does not mean an act of the legislature. If such were the true interpretation, this branch of government could at any time take away life, liberty, property, and privilege without a trial by jury. The Minnesota Supreme Court in deciding the extent of the legislative power in regards to established property rights stated, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. To give this clause any value, it must be understood to mean that no person shall be deprived by any form of legislative or governmental action of either life, liberty, or property, except the consequence of some judicial proceedings appropriately and legally conducted. It follows that a law which by its own inherent force extinguishes rights of property or compels their extinction, extinction without any legal proceedings, whatever, comes directly in conflict with the Constitution. Today, in many areas where rights or protections have long existed, it is common to find some law that allows a policeman to deprive a citizen of property, liberty, contrary to common law principles of due process. Modern law books or legal writers will admit that this practice was not lawful in the past, but then ignorantly say recent statutes now make it legal. A good legal writer would uphold the true law of the land and denounce the current act of government to the contrary, no matter how popular it has become. Legislative law can never be a substitute for the law of the land as plainly stated by the Supreme Court of Indiana. Quote, the law of the land or due process of law cannot be taken to be the very act of legislation which wantonly deprives a person of his rights. This is Winnehammer v. People in New York. In Loan Association v. Topeka, Mr. Justice Miller declared that there are rights in every free government which are beyond the control of the state. The legislature cannot turn innocence into guilt or make the exercise of a right a crime or violate the right of lawful private contract or the right of private property. It is against all reason and justice for a people to entrust the legislature with such powers. And therefore, it cannot be presumed 
that they have done so. I want to repeat that one. It is against all reason and justice for a people to entrust a legislature with such powers. And therefore, it cannot be presumed that they have done so. Thus, in a case where a legislative act allowed the owner of a dog to be charged with the amount of damage done by his dog as fixed by the selectmen of the town without opportunity to be heard, the act was unconstitutional as it was contrary to natural justice and not within the scope of legislative authority conferred by the Constitution. In this case, Chief Justice Perley of the New Hampshire Supreme Court stated, Similar provisions, it is the law of the land, borrowed in substance from Magna Carta, are found in the constitutions of other states and have been held to impose a limitation on the legislative power as well as on the other departments of the government. In Green v. Briggs, Curtis J. says, Certainly this, the law of the land, does not mean any act which the assembly may choose to pass. If it did, the legislature could inflict the forfeiture of life, liberty, or property without a trial. If the common law could control and adjudge parliament, as Lord Cook stated, it certainly can do so with American legislative bodies, which are construed to have more limitations and less powers than parliament. The common law is part of the law of the land, and thus the Constitution can confer no power on a legislative body to enact a law, to enact a law in violation of the fundamental maxims of justice and equity as were known under the common law. Due process is not what the legislature states it is, but what the settled maxims of law permit and sanction. Unquote. Each citizen in the whole community is entitled at all times to demand the protection of the ancient principles which have been historically been used to shield private rights against arbitrary interference, even though such interference may be deemed fair or impartial in its application. The state did not give the citizen his rights and thus cannot take them away as it chooses. The state did not establish the settled maxims and procedures by which a citizen must be dealt with and thus cannot abrogate or circumvent them. As the Supreme Court of Illinois stated, an act of the legislature is not necessarily the law of the land. A state cannot make anything due process of law, which by its own legislation it declares to be such. It is thus well established 
that the legislative enactments do not constitute the law of the land, but must conform to it. For the legislature to adopt new rules and processes is in effect tyranny, which due process was designed to prevent. It is very obvious that everything which takes the form of an enactment is not therefore to be deemed the law of the land or due course or process of law. It was against the enactment of new laws which ignored the proceedings according to the course of the common law and provided summary methods of determining legal rights that the protecting shield of the Constitution was required. That is quotable, quotable, quotable. Due process of law requires notice hearing, judgment. These words do not mean anything which the legislature may see fit to declare to be due process of law. For there are certain fundamental rights which our system of jurisprudence has always recognized, which not even the legislature can disregard. In proceedings which a person is deprived of life, liberty, or property. That is the end of the lesson for today.